right, welcome. With me today is my, my dear friend and past client, Creighton Beeger. Welcome to Living the Boulder Dream. Thanks, nice to be here. Yeah. So um, we'll take a little bit of a deeper dive into background just because I know you personally before um, I helped you buy your house in Boulder. Um, but we knew each other through, we both had offices at the Studio Boulder um, back in my advertising days and uh, Creighton runs with his partner Will a financial, what do you call it? Consulting? Uh, we're an investment and registered investment advisors. Okay. So we're an investment advisory firm. Got it. Okay. Um, so we, we shared a wall between offices before we really even knew each other. Um, I think I got to know you guys the day that I was hanging a TV and banging on the wall and you guys had clients in the office. In a conference room, yeah, that's right. Um, and then um, we knew each other there and then we ran into each other at the gym. And I knew Sarah um, from the lunch, like the endurance program. I didn't connect uh, you guys. Got it. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, so I saw you both at the gym. Yeah. I, I was never an endurance, endurance one. But um, so then at one point you approached me and said, hey, I'm going to buy a house. And I said, sure, let's let's do it. So we did. And um, the rest is history. <laughs> it's a little bit more of it in the middle, but that'll suffice. All right. Um, so a little background. So well, the way that I kind of like to start these things is just kind of get an idea of where where you grew up um this country is vast and different and you know you have lots of pockets of of new and old and you know so we'd like to paint a little picture of like what what was it like growing up for Creighton? <laughs> um, i grew up in oklahoma so i was born in oklahoma graduated high school in oklahoma and we moved five five times around the state following my dad's job as he sort of ascended through the public utility from a guy reading meters in the backyard to you know the home office sort of thing. And so I moved a lot as a kid. And most of those stops, we had at least two other places we lived because my parents liked to build houses. So that was their thing. We'd move to a, a new town, rent a house while they built a house. We'd move into that house. We'd live there like two years. We'd move to another town. <clears throat> and so I was familiar with moving around um, as it pertains to this podcast. Um, my dad was a runner. I was a really, I got into running and triathlon when I was young became a really serious cyclist that kind of took over my life in small town Oklahoma and I did half of my senior year of high school in Boulder. I don't know if you know that. No, I don't think yeah, I knew that you ever hear that. that I did early. some time. I got named to the U.S. cycling team and, and during my jun end of my junior year and I met someone, well I had some friends from that area who came up to live in Colorado Springs in an apartment near the Olympic Training Center. Their parents put them up in an apartment. It was like some guys from that part of the country. And my parents said, no way, we're not going to do that. But I met somebody who still lives in Boulder, born and raised, my friend Ingrid. Um, and her brother had just moved out, and she and I were just really good chums. And she said, you should come up and live in Boulder with my dad and me. And I had some bike racing friends from Oklahoma who were a little older who had just moved up here. And okay. so I came up to Boulder, did the first half of my senior year, kind of actually most of the second half, and went back home right before graduation skipped graduation, went to race my bike in Europe and all these places. So I lived in Boulder from like the, the early part of 1992 and then I came back in 1993 and effectively never left. Yeah. Other than a few attempts to leave and we can talk about Chief Nywood's curse and how it's affected <laughs> me personally. And, and me. And several me. times, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so, so kind of permanently settled here in this area since 93, a stint in Longmont, a stint in Denver. Um, 
and just kind of came here and made my whole life. Right. Went to college here, yeah. worked around here, and have a business here. So my kids are about to graduate high school in Boulder. Right. Yeah. Um, and I've moved a lot despite that. Yes. So. Yeah. <laughs> so so circling way back to like growing up in Oklahoma, was there one house that was like the one that you know if if you think about childhood that you know you remember that that had the most I don't know if it some people it's sentimental some people it's just memories. Yeah, that's a that's a good question. Um, my my house, the houses I lived in growing up, always felt like my parents' house, and there's some reasons behind that that aren't really germane to this podcast. But uh, a friend of mine said that to me one time. Guy, actually, the guy who was up here when I came up in high school, his name is Olin. He's one of my oldest friends, and he said you always referred to your house as your parents' house. And I never thought about it that way, but I think it's because their houses are really important to them. You know, mm-hmm. they, built, they built houses to this day. They have the, the house they live in now. It's very well decorated. They're not really neat freaks, but, you know, everything's real well kept. Almost like you should be in a magazine, but not fancy. Just they're real thoughtful. Okay. And so they all kind of stand out in their own way. The, rent, the rental places that we stopped off in for a few months don't really stand out. My memory's not great from being a young kid, but... Yeah, we had some neat features. At one point, I had a bedroom that had two doors. We lived we lived a big chunk of my formative years in a town called Chandler, Oklahoma. It's a small sort of rural town, off the, right off the interstate. It was about three thousand people, and we had a that house really stands out maybe because of the years in which we lived there. You know, like kind of fourth grade through eighth grade, um, but also it was kind of a neat house. It backed up to a big piece of land, and so we had a fence across which was this probably like an acre, but it felt like five hundred acres of woods. Um, that's where I really got into cycling, and so I knew the area around it really well. There were just a lot of features about it, but my bedroom had two doors. It had a regular door on one side, and it had a pocket door that opened into the living room oh, okay. on the other side. And what that meant was oftentimes, I'm a little bit of a night owl, and I have been my whole life. I would open that pocket door at night and go spend time in the living room, like by the fireplace or whatever. I kind of had it to myself. When everybody else was sleeping. Yeah, because yeah. I didn't have to open the other door and make sort of the lap down the hallway, and it was a ranch house, yeah. as you would imagine. But yeah, they all had their little features that stand out, yeah. you know, in their own way. But but these were so you said ranch. So it was that like the style of, of homes there, and yeah, I don't remember really anybody but extraordinary homes having like basements. You know, yeah. I don't even think I'm pausing here for a second. I don't know that I ever lived in a house that had stairs. Huh. I never thought about that before. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I'm actually, I'm almost a hundred percent sure of that as I yeah. say that. All so right. And now and around here. In South Boulder, it's hard to find a house that doesn't have stairs right. under the basement. So. so, what's the longest you ever lived in any one house? I mean, you know, chi- well, childhood and an adult, I guess. It's better as an adult yeah. because um, we lived in a house. My Sonia, my now ex-wife, and I, we lived in a house on Kenwood when we came back from Denver. So that would have been like 2007 until 2000, like 11 or 12. And okay. we lived, that's the longest I've ever lived in one place. And so it was about five years. Wow. And here's how I know that. Because when we, when we decided to leave that house, I thought, I have moved so much. Because Sonia and I moved a lot together around Boulder in the area. And I figured out that if I lived to be 100, which I hope I don't, <laughs> I would just barely average. If I, if I had stayed in that house for the rest of my life and I lived to be 100, I would just barely average four years 
in all of the places that I've set myself down. Yeah. And then we moved out yeah. of that house. And I sort of gave up the calculation because it got depressing or exciting or something. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, so four out of five years is the longest I've ever lived in one And house. I once was talking to a, a loan officer about that. And the at the time, and this was a few years ago, the, the average life of a loan was five years. Like people yeah. were either, well, some, I mean, there was refinancing going on. It, it was before the craziness of refinancing, but yeah. Um, it yeah, came in a lot. That number came in a lot when we when we hit the zero bound on interest rates because I did a, a chunk of my career buying and selling and investing in uh, mortgage-backed securities. Right. And when you do that, you really want to know when you think you're going to get your money back because the mortgage-backed securities are, are sort of backwards in that if, when interest rates fall, you're more likely to get all your money back, and now you have to reinvest it in a lower interest rate environment. Right. And so people that do that pay a lot of attention, and pre, pre that policy, say pre-2010, that average was more like seven. The average life of a loan Got was around seven years, but it came in a lot when rates went from you know four to three to two to one to zero. Right. People refinanced all the way around. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Anyway, yeah. But I'm, way, I'm way shorter than that. Okay. Um, so you've been in Boulder for, you know, like, I guess it's the majority of your life now, right? Pretty much 30 years. Yeah. I mean, you know, the fall of 93 is when I got here, but I spent a little chunk of time here before. So yeah, I mean, my whole adult life, I came here when I was 17. Yeah. Wow. Seen a lot of change. Seen a lot of change. I mean, (laughs) I've, I've been here since 2006 and I've seen a lot of change. Right. So yeah, I was just on top of Mount Sanitas yesterday and. And I, the first time I did Mount Sanitas was when I was here in high school, so I would have been 17 or 18. And I just somehow I'd never noticed there's a little plaque there, and that that trail was commissioned in 1992. Oh, so just okay. a so year like the stairs and stuff weren't there back then. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. The, that's the sort of the front side, you know, the steep side up the front, right. probably. Yeah, yeah so. probably where it was getting all deteriorated and, and yeah. whatever. So okay. All right, so fast forward because we've covered a lot of the background now and, and stuff, but um, so. You had approached me and said, hey, I'm going to buy a house. Um, and then I think it was like a week later, you're like, I think I'm going to buy this house. Yeah. Um, so we never really went and looked at a whole lot of houses together. I looked together. at that house once, and I'm still finding things wrong with it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, aren't we all? There, you know, houses houses are, are like, you know, an old car. Right? Yeah. You got to keep giving it love. It's like my lifestyle, you know? Yeah. Um, so, you know, we found that house. We had some... Um, I, I will call them interesting sellers. My daughter found that house, just to correct you a little bit. Oh, okay. My daughter found it and sent us over there to look at it. Because she saw the sign? There was an open house, and if you recall, a friend of mine lives just around the corner, and his his two daughters uh, were the exact same age as my kids, and we met when they were in daycare. Right. And so she, walked, she knew I was looking. She walked over with her friend Gabby saw that open house, went in, said, you should come look at that house. And so we went and looked at it. That's funny. That's why I bought it, looking at it one time. As many open houses that I've done, I don't think I've ever had like a teen or probably when she was preteen at that point. Uh, she was like, yeah. Oh, you're just be, just becoming a teenager, yeah. like walk into a house and be like, can we look around? Yeah. They, <laughs> Good they for the, her. Well, it's yeah. also the exact same, so that's my friend Ben, it's the exact same floor plan as Ben's house, which you know is a common one down there, yeah. the weird L with the front door setback. Yep, yep. And so I think they were also curious because my house is, has a different sort of remodel than that house right 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 yeah. okay that's why we looked at it one time so and um what year was this uh I, we closed the transaction in march of 2019 2019 so uh, it was in the winter that we were doing it yep. because the whole yard was under snow 
Yes, yeah. but it, uh, right, because it was like a, one of those big wet spring snows. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was some some stuff that we didn't see. Um, that, all it, the, that it was an urban farm. Right, a lot of garden that. beds and stuff. I think we discovered yeah. that at the walkthrough. We were like, uh-huh. whoa, look yeah. at that. It's, they literally described it as an urban farm at the closing. Yeah, so okay. I'm not a farmer. <laughs> right. And then <laughs> they, were, they were interesting. Um, and I'm trying to remember why. Maybe there's a reason you remember. Uh... Yeah. They, they, it seemed like they were divorcing. They were, I think they were divorcing. I think they had become somewhat estranged over the course of the period through which they sort of spread out. Yeah. And I know some of this in a, in a kind way because they did not give us any, they didn't forward any of their mail. They didn't provide any forwarding addresses, which as somebody who's moved a lot, you see that happen. Right. But they also didn't leave me with any contact information. And so their mail would, their stuff would just pile up yeah. at my house. And eventually I would either put it back in the mailbox, you know, please forward, or I would throw it away depending on what it was. Um, you know, like junk mail or stuff like postcards and right. stuff. Yeah. Um, but then at some point she reached out to me and I told her and then like some Amazon packages showed up there not that long ago. Weird. Like less than a year ago. But in that conversation, she saw and they had seen that I had done the remodel and pulled out all their farm and stuff. And so she requested to come in and see the tour of what I had done and, yeah. and kind of got to know her a little bit. And okay. she actually founded one of the aerial dance companies in Boulder. Oh, okay. So I kind of name drop her, you know. Was she invo- involved with the circus place up in North Boulder? What's it called? I want to say Frequent Flyers. Is that the one in Boulder? May- and maybe they operate out of that yeah. circus place. Can I say her name? I don't know. Is it like. No, probably not. <laughs> look at my address. So anyway. Um, yeah, but she was real nice. So yeah, they, okay. I think they, you know, couples break up, kids grow up, they yep. in a house, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people, you know, yeah. lives evolve and people move on and, and yeah. do all sorts of stuff. Exactly. So okay. Um, so I, I mean, do you remember a whole lot about the transaction? Like, <laughs> you're probably one of the people that I'm interviewing that's like the oldest um, or the longest uh, transaction from from today, right? So oh, I don't know how the much farthest in the past. Yeah, yeah. Oh. So I'm not sure how much how much you remember about it, but like I like uh, to touch on like yeah. the experience that people go through like during the process, right? Like so from from trusting me, not trusting me, to being frustrated with a certain aspect of, of the process just because it's specific to that house or just in general. Um, so like was was there a stressful part of the of the process? Um, I can summarize the whole process for you, but to answer that question specifically, <laughs> well, don't get ahead of ourselves. I was, I was ready for the answer to the big question because I remember it pretty well. Was yeah, I mean, the transaction itself was stressful insofar as if you, you may not remember. I didn't know if I could pay for it because my ex-wife and I had a house up in Devil's Thumb that we had not sold yet, but the sale was pending. You know, so we were pretty sure it was going to come through. So the sale of that house was pending. And, but there was a moment where I didn't know if the sale was going to come in fast enough and be able to have the down payment. So I was sort of scrambling where I was going to get the down payment because I might have needed it for like 30 days. So that was stressful for me. I'm not positive I knew that or may Uh, not have understood the brevity. But, you know, I don't get involved too much in the financial stuff. That's kind of between you and the lender um, and like what what you're figuring out there unless... Unless I need to know, um, but I, I really don't want to dig into people's. Yeah, I mean that's what you do on a day to day basis is really dig right. into the personal stuff. For me, it's really like my job is to make this transaction as safe and protect you and give you clarity. Right. Um, but not dig into your financial and your personal stuff. Right. Well, right. so to that end, I'll, I'll sort of pitch you even more than your, your you pitch yourself. What I asked of you, because even though I've done this was the eighth real estate transaction I've done in Boulder County. 
with Sonia and myself. So if we count them all up, so and all of those, so that was I've done seven buys and sells and one now this purchase. Um, first time I was doing it alone, you know, I was single at that time, and um, I had this little sort of money stressor. You know, it wasn't that I wasn't going to have the money. There's I, I probably should have waited a month to engage you. Right, then the other house would have sold. Right, right, right. 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 Instead, I engaged you early, looked at the house once, and bought it. Like, why? I have no idea. But everybody's a little, a lot of people are a little crazy when we, they get divorced. We so. don't question it yeah. unless we see red flags. Exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> what I said to you was, and I remember this because despite having done all those transactions, and this is a this is a feature that I figured out about myself. It took me a little while. I'm not really good at some of those those details, you know. And I know this from my work. I'm much better at the big picture, you know, figuring out the strategy, the moving parts. And so always in the transactions we had done, the, all the details, the little piece, you know, pieces, parts, and the dates, and you gotta deliver this, all that had kind of been lost to me. And I think I told you, we had done all those transactions, ostensibly, maybe one we did differently, with, with the same agent. Mm -hmm. And she kind of, she knew she was real good at that. She'd kind of horse whip us through the transaction. And I said to you, just tell me what to do, when to do it, just, just like mark those orders at me. Yep. And you did that perfectly. Yeah. So I was just going along and you'd say, you would like all caps text me, call me and be like, hey, you need to sign this document by today or tomorrow. And I was like, okay. And so that was really, that took a ton of stress off of me. Was, but I was able to say to you, can you please deal with me in this specific way? Was that in reaction to my, and, and maybe I wasn't doing it at this point, but now I do this. Um, so like we go under contract and I automatically write this letter and I save it as a PDF so that you can't fat finger it when you open it. And it's basically like, here are the immediate next steps of things that you need to do. Um, but no. it's really just, so maybe I wasn't Because I wouldn't that. have paid attention to that letter. I would have said, the whole point of this is you tell me when we're going right. from one to two to three. Well, that's what I'm, I'm wondering yeah. if that was like your reaction to that letter. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to plan ahead. Just tell me what I need or to do. Or maybe, <laughs> maybe after you, maybe after me, you should look at when you started it. Maybe you're like, oh, that worked well. Yeah. You know, because what I said is, because I know these transactions, I know transactions broadly you know, from my career and stuff. And I knew that what we were doing, I just didn't have the capacity to think about it. Yeah. And so you were you took a lot of stress off my off my plate and, and just doing that for me. Okay. And that was it was a huge help. Yeah. yeah. I mean I like to you know, when when anybody endeavors into something that they don't do every day, right? Like there's a curve. And that curve may be really steep or not. Um, but so I you know, I can talk about the process to people that are about to start the process. Till I'm blue in the face, and it, half of it's going in, you know, one, it's all going in one ear, and half of it's coming out the other. Right, right. Um, so, you know, until you're in it, you just don't understand. Right. And I even believe that, like, way back when, when I was going through the schooling and getting my, my real estate license, you know, like the stuff that they talked about these classes, like, I mean, my eyes were glazed over, and um, none of it really made sense because you weren't actually doing it. Right. Um, so and I think that's true for so much of life. It's experiential. Yeah. Maybe not everything. You know, maybe theoretical mathematicians are basically doing the same thing in their career that they were doing in college. But I think for a lot of situations, you know, my work, you know, teaching a CrossFit class, you can hear all about it until you do it. And right. So, you know, for me, a transaction is a transaction. And it's funny you said you can explain to people to hear blue in the face and they won't kind of get it until they do it. What I think's fun about transactions and home transactions, but really all kinds, is you almost don't know how any transaction is gonna go until you get into it. You know, so to me, you know, buying that house I bought was it was a it's a new journey. Like each of the home transactions I've done yep. has been a completely different experience, you know, from the horrible seller to yep. you know, we I've walked out of two real estate transactions just once, just like found a technicality and got out of it, and then the second time just realized I couldn't do it. And just walked away. Interesting. Yeah. So yeah. every transaction is its own journey. Yeah. You we know? we see all all sorts of stuff yeah. like that. I mean, 
you know, the, pro the, the, the process from A to Z is the same, but like all the little things in the middle may yeah. be completely different. Um, yeah, which I think is what makes it so fascinating. Yeah, and then personalities get in the way too, and personalities kind of define how a transaction goes. Um, I, I'm actually working with a with a very close friend and selling their property right now, which is a, it's a big property, um, and he's you know he's intense. He's an analyst, and he is you know he is thinking ten steps ahead on everything. And I my answer is always like. We're getting ahead of ourselves here. Let's right. see how it plays out. We can right. we could come up with a thousand scenarios, and maybe none of them are going to be correct. It may be totally different. So, let's just chill. <laughs> I think that's what makes you. You know, the way in which I worked with you was very casual because I knew you, I trusted you, and I was like, hey, I know, I kind of know what I'm doing. I know how home transactions work. Can you just sort of steer the wheel for me? Yep. And but knowing you as a friend, one thing I really like about you is you and I share, in my mind, we share a characteristic and that's I'm pretty, I'm very much not a future dweller. So I tend, and I think this helps me in my work, you know, in investment, investing for other people, making investment decisions, giving other people advice on what they should do with their big life decisions, is I have, we all have to acquiesce to the idea that we have no idea what is about to happen. Yeah. And once you do that, you, you, it can, for momentary, momentarily, it gets a little scary. But then when it lands on you, the only thing you can really do is try to focus on what you do know right now, right? And I think you and I kind of share that. When you and I have hung out socially or gone on, we hiked the Narrows together with a group, you, you seem really like you're just living in the moment. Like you're not perturbed by it could go left, it could go right. And I think I have to think that makes you particularly good at what you do, mm. you know, okay. because people who are too analytical or get too hung up on what's going to happen in a transaction – you know, any kind of transaction, certainly a financial one, you need a nimbleness to get through it. Well, and you've you created, move, you know, you've created all this other stress that never actually came to fruition, but you lost sleep over theory. I mean, right. I lose sleep over everything. So yeah. in my mind, like I may be chill on, on and transparent on, you know, on the yeah. day to day, but I do wake up at four o'clock in the morning <laughs> thinking like, Oh my God, when was that date? Did we sign this in time? Did we, you know, because um, there's always some, there's always transactions where, you know, the seller has no right to the <coughs> transaction, right? They have no way out of the contract. All they can do is say no to requests, right? There's no way for them to terminate a contract. I've had a seller get out of a contract. Yeah. Uh, okay. Sidetrack. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll do, we'll do a B version. <laughs> it was a, it was a, it was a, uh, for sale by owner that we were purchasing in Boise, Idaho. Okay. And uh, do, can I tell the story? Is that what you meant? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Or do you want to do it on the no, let's side? No, let's do it. We're, we're halfway in. Right. I'll only give you a part of it. I'll just give you the flip notes. For Momentarily, my Sonia had gotten recruited to Boise, Idaho, pregnant with our first child. And I was in a job about which I was very ambivalent. And she said, I kind of want to take this job. Do you want to try it out? And we had the first baby on the way. And we thought, oh, maybe it's a good choice. So we went up there and she took the job. And so I fell to the task of selling a real rental condo we had, getting our house ready for sale. And I went up there to buy us a house and found this house we loved and it was for sale by owner. And I thought, well, I've never done this before. And I had a lot of time on my hands. So I went through the process with this guy and we were a little on the fence if we wanted to do it. And one night I went to deliver some document to him or something. We were moving along and he said, hey, everything's going great, but somebody else came by and offered me and I can't remember, it was a lot more like 30 or 50 grand. Like enough that we had to pause even though it was bundled into a bigger home price. But I was like, hmm, I don't know. I was like, he's like, would you guys, do you guys want to raise your offer? by 50 grand. But did you already have a contract in place? I can't remember exactly where we were. I think yeah. we did. Okay. We were, I mean, we were like, we were near the end and I, that time was kind of a blur and I went back to the car and I was like, Hey, he wants like whatever, 50 grand more because somebody else offered it to him. 
and she was like and I'm not quoting her if she ever hears this but she was sort of like maybe we should just go back to Boulder <laughs> and I was like yeah okay and so I basically just went and told him hey take your other offer we're out and he was like okay sounds good and we just walked away interesting yeah I mean every yeah. state's different so and, I don't yeah know. so maybe it was because of for, for sale by owner and I didn't push back and we just sort of ripped it up but yeah. he was happy to take it and we thought you know this is yeah. This is the universe, or Chief Niwat saying, yep. it's time to come back. <laughs> <laughs> so we went back, and we actually had friends who had thrown us a big going away party. And we went back, and those friends became our like cohort all the way through, like, you know, kids in high school and having kids and stuff. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Anyway. yeah. <laughs> uh, there's not a whole lot of for sale by owners around these parts. I've done it. Um, I got, you know, this is before I was a broker, but, um, when, and this was my Chief Niwat curse. Um, we sold our house in Boulder in 2009 and moved to Chicago to follow jobs in the, in the advertising marketing world. Um, and I decided to sell my house. And uh, I decided I was gonna do it myself, which I'd always done. This was probably gonna be my fourth or fifth transaction. Um, and you know, I send out this mass email to like every agent email I could find in Boulder. And the responses I got were like, I mean, people were, they were like, we don't do that here <laughs> which is kind of true and and it, and it dates back to this uh law case conway bogue um i forget the year but essentially the bar association sued the real estate association saying you're practicing law um and the real estate association said well that's great but you know the only place you can find a, an attorney in colorado is in denver and what about all the other people how are they going to sell buy and sell houses um so they reached this agreement where mm. the real estate uh, agents, brokers could practice this very small portion of law, and and that's the contracts, um, which are state forms. Um, there's there's not much that we can change in them. There's one area where we can write in specific you know <coughs> provisions that are supposed to be, you know, attorney approved and, and right. that kind of thing. Right. Um, so it, you know it's very easy to not use attorney. We don't really use attorneys in Colorado unless something right. strange comes up. Um, uh, but you know we can we facilitate the whole thing and use title as an intermediary third party so interesting yeah. i did yeah, do yeah. one transaction we bought a house from friends and that agent we used all the way along she agreed to just be the agent for everybody for like 500 bucks so there's yeah. no fee or commission in the middle at all this so you can't cool. do that in colorado you can't represent we didn't actually sides. do it <laughs> yeah well there is this what's called a transaction broker and where she did, you know yeah. so the way we explain it is there's two teams and then there's a referee in the middle so the broker becomes the referee yeah. and is no longer representing anybody um I, you know, it's not something that I recommend necessarily because nobody's, you know, you're all paying the commission one way or another. Either either you're paying it or you're paying for it through the, through the purchase price. Right, right. Um, but nobody's getting any representation. They're yeah. just getting like, here's what this is. This is what they want to do. What do you want to do? Yeah. And it was um, only they were good good friends of ours that lived two blocks away. We spent a lot of time at their house, and offhandedly one time we said, if you guys ever want to sell this house, we would buy it. Yeah. And they called us you know, a year later and said, there's this new place called Dakota Ridge. We're going to move <laughs> up there. And do you want to buy the house? And so we, we you know, knew some people. We had some people. You know, they, we were all kind of mutual friends. We had somebody um, inspected and all that. And we said we reached out to this woman, and she's like, I'll do it. But no, that if this goes sideways, you're both going to have to go off and get your attorneys. And Right. But it was so amicable. I yeah. Mean, yeah. I've had a few deals where um, clients have brought in their you know family attorney or, or whatever it mm -hmm. is and it gets very complicated they, they find things to like you know get involved in and um, I can't say that anything has ever been like a big deal but like it's it's made a big deal is made of it yeah yeah we've um, had a couple go sideways I mean one that we 
had to get out of on a technicality and one where we had the dreaded sewer line issue in the front yard. Yeah, um, that one went so sideways, the buyer found my name and called me. And yeah. she started calling me directly. And I had to threaten her because her her um, agent was like, I can't stop her. And you were buying or selling? We were selling. You were selling. And, and the you buyer, had a sewer issue? Sort of. Maybe. <laughs> we didn't think so. She thought we did. <laughs> Got you it. You know, two plumbers each had conflicting opinions. And so, yeah. Yeah, the whole sewer thing. So, I mean, yeah. it is it is the best $150 you can spend to save 10000 Yeah. Um, but then, you know, when you see bellies in the line, which are just like little <clears throat> low dips where the water collects, mm-hmm. and then sometimes like paper and like that kind of stuff, um, it, that can create clogs. And so the jury's out always on like, is it is it a is it an issue or is it right. not an issue? Right. This one just had some cracks that showed up in the yeah. scope. And so we had someone say, you know, you've got cracks, you need to remediate it. What we would do is sleeve it. They can yep. put some kind of sleeve in there. Yeah. And the buyer was not having it. She wanted like a whole new, she was a couple, but she wanted oh, a whole new sleeve, sewer line. Sleeve is perfect. Exactly. Yeah. And so we could not prove that to her. We, and this was the finan- This was the only way in which we really paid for the pain of the financial crisis. So we yeah. moved to Denver in 07, came back in 08. We were in Denver for like 50 weeks, yeah. bought and sold the house. And, and then, oh, that's actually, and then we were selling this house. It was a little later, but it was not, houses were not selling the same way. And she, there was a good offer. There was a full price offer, but she was like going to die on this hill. And we ultimately just had to, you know, negotiate it out. And, yeah. it. and uh, we, we acquiesced to her in some way, but then when they'd had to dig it up to put the sleeve in, there were these huge boulders that came out. So they're in her yard now. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. She was so, like, I don't want those there. And I'm like, they're yours. And you the, techno- the technology of those sleeves, it's like this, this, this sheath polymer um, that is, you know, yeah. basically better than a clay tile. Maybe not as good as a PVC yeah. pipe, but, you know. She could not be convinced. Yeah. And that's how she ended up calling me at work. Yeah, yeah. So that one went sideways a little bit. All right. So <laughs> we're, I mean, we're way off track from my Sorry. normal. My, no, it's totally fine because, you, you know, know, we're co- covering interesting things. Um, so, you know, of, of I'll just ask this broad question of, like, of real estate because you've, you've done a lot of it. And I don't even know that I knew how much you've been involved in from... As as a buyer seller, um, you know what what do you what do you like about it? What do you don't like about it? And you know, well, I, I don't want to lead you, so I'll just leave it there. I mean, I like transactions. I've learned that about myself in my business. We've bought two businesses, and it's definitely the most fun I've ever had in my career. Uh, I started my professional career doing valuations for business transactions, and so I just like tr- tr- the nature of transactions, the price discovery mechanism, you know, all that sort of economic sort of stuff. But Something about houses, and maybe it's because I moved a lot as a kid. I don't know. I don't need to workshop it. Um, it doesn't really bother me to move. Like, I like a new house. There's something that feels neat to me about settling into a place, you know. Um, I'm, I'm pretty lean, you know. To move my stuff into a new place isn't super stressful. I'm not really attached to things. It's more places and the experiences you have there. And so for me, every piece of real estate, whether I ultimately bought it or not or lived in it for you know six months or lived in it forever, um, has kind of a special place in my heart, you know, and, and accepting some of the places when I was a kid, you know, when I was like eight and we lived somewhere for six months. And so I just, I like, I like that aspect of it. I'm always curious about who the buyer is mm-hmm. just as a person, you know me, I'm like this, um, you know, but when, when, for whatever reason, a transaction is quirky and you end up kind of knowing the other party because they don't forward their mail or they left something at your house. Like, I, I just think all that's sort of fun. So yeah. whole, it's where we live. It's such an intensely personal thing, you know? Yep. And I think what I what I've learned about all the transactions and like you know I've, I see I see every 
personality. I see, you know, almost every issue that, you know, either gets resolved or doesn't get resolved. I see people that are, you know, so, you know, kind of hellbent on their uh, principle of whether whether it's a financial thing or whether it's like the house itself and you know they don't want it to be they, they get wind that the buyer is going to do something to it and then they don't want to do that and they don't really want to sell it to them yeah. or you know and, and what I what I realize is that the the best thing that we can do with these transactions is to keep everybody happy and play along fairly you know in good yeah. in the contract says you know we're all working in good faith right. um but it's it, it really should be a joyous thing right yeah. like everybody's working towards you know the same thing the seller wants to sell right. because they want to move on the buyer wants to buy it because right. they want to move in and um i would i sort of i agree but I'd, i would add a qualifier that's going to pr- present as disagreement i would say, and this is from my work too i would say sort of over what time horizon because i think you know and when, you, when you're doing this kind of work, advising on transactions in any sort of way, or financial decisions, you know, you really owe, I think, and my business partner agrees, we really owe a debt of gratitude to our clients or a debt of, of responsibility to, to put their interests, you know, first. And that, that could sometimes take the form of saying, hey, this thing you think you want to do that's going to make you happy, I have more perspective, I've done more transactions, I've lived here longer. I've got a little more intel. It may not actually be the right decision. And and again, the one agent we worked with for so long was really good at that. Yep. We'd get anchored on a place, and she might say, "You know what, you guys, let's back up. It's going to hurt a little bit, but we need to keep shopping." Or even, "I don't think this is our buyer." Yeah. You know, she had a real horse sense. It still does. She's still out there. Um, yeah. For saying, "You know, this is going to hurt a little bit." You know. So I think we do have to keep people happy, but I think our role in representing people is to really be just sort of dead honest with them. Yeah, I think when and when I said, you know, keep ha- keep people happy, I'm not saying just like wag the dog and let them do, you know, things right. that we like. I am. I know. And, I've worked with you. And <laughs> yeah, most of my clients will 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 say like, "I'm a straight shooter. Like, I'm never going to sugarcoat anything. And if I see an issue with the house, I'm going to tell you. Right. Um, if you still want to move forward with it, that is your decision, and I will support you and get you you know, negotiate for you and do everything I possibly can to make that deal you know come out on the other end the way that you wanted it to but right. um, not not on my watch are you gonna do something that you know you may regret later unless you know about it well and that it's on you this is why I refer your you to people right and we, I think we can disclose that I refer clients to yeah, you because sure. I've worked with you and you're that kind of person and that like I just shared I think that's a really important thing I do think and I'm not being critical but I'm being observant here I think a lot of agents whether they're real estate agents or transaction brokers of many types yep. really just want to get a transaction done yeah right and to take the long view of something even if it's just because it's the right thing to do yep is just a better way to walk through life, you know? And so I, I had no doubt that if you looked at my transaction and me and said, hey dude, I know you, not super well, but enough, better than you probably know a lot of your clients, this seems like a mistake. Yep. You would have told me that. Totally. And that's so unbelievably important. Totally, yeah. yeah. Not everybody does it. And, and what's interesting about the real estate profession, right? Like it's a sales role, which I, I mean, I really don't consider myself a sales guy. There's nothing that I'm trying to sell. I'm facilitating transactions. Right. Um, but, the, but it is this sales role and with sales comes commissions. And so in a lot of ways, I, I wish there was a different way to structure the financial side of, um, you know, the way that brokers make a living because 
it's in my best interest to get a deal done, um, whether it's in your best interest or not. Right. Um, it's, the, it's the inherent conflict of interest. The way I see it is that if I do the right thing and get you out of it, you're just going to like me better. Um, right, right. And, and then, you know, you'll still be my client. It just may take a little bit longer to get paid. And right, right. that's okay. Right. Um, yeah. So. Well, and it's, you know, like the conflict that I always struggled with. Um, and I think, again, I think you probably do this well. We didn't really, you let me price negotiate pretty much as I wanted to, but I've done a lot of that price negotiating in the past. <clears throat> a fun stop in my career was I worked for GE Capital and I worked for a company in Boulder that GE Capital bought and they sent us all to GE's situational negotiation skills training because we were sort of debt collectors in a way. And it was like, changed my life. Yeah. Like learning how to professionally negotiate a little bit. Um, there's a lot of role playing in yeah. real estate and like a lot of the continuing yeah. education courses we do like so I'm a real estate negotiation expert I've right. taken that course right. um, you know it's a few hours it's not like it's a week you right. know set right. off site somewhere where right. you're really digging in and there's right. role playing and and all that but I, I think to me the art of negotiating is listening versus like trying to push um, there's there are some brokers that I deal with on a day to day that like you know they put their foot down and they're fighting and they're you know and I'm just listening and and listening for the key the key things that they're saying and finding the weaknesses and then you know coming yeah. back with that yeah um, it's very unusual for me to get heated yeah um, I can yeah. imagine you know there's there's my my biggest takeaway from negotiations which has served me well is that you don't and I, I relearn this lesson all the time you don't get anything you won't ask for you have to you know if you want something and I've gotten we've gotten some interesting concessions over the years or given them up as it pertains to real estate mm -hmm. just by asking like hey I wonder if they would leave the oh yeah. you know the house we bought on Powderhorn the up in Devil's Thumb we were buying it from a woman who was widowed and she sort of selected us as the buyer there were other people trying to buy it and we just came back and said she'd raised three kids there they were adults her husband they remodeled the house his ship came in and business and then he died of cancer it was a horrible sad story we kind of got to know her and we looked at the house a bunch and we just couldn't get there we just couldn't close the gap you know we were we were like just freaking out but we wanted that house it was the right move <clears throat> and and she selected us to be her to be her buyer and that was sort of part of it right like being being able to come to the negotiating table and we ask her some questions like would you be willing to leave this or what are you going to do with this and she ended up leaving basically the entire basement entertainment center the tv the speakers the whole thing because she was like i don't need any of this anymore and you're going to put it to good use yeah and she we i think she was just waiting for us to ask you know and yeah yeah i think that's an important lesson in negotiations you can ask for all kinds of stuff and, you never know like yeah. what what you never really know what somebody's motivation is right so and and i the, i had a similar story with clients who were looking at a house it was kind of strange because they were older and my clients were younger mm -hmm. and so the furniture was a little bit more classic mm -hmm. um, but they loved they not only loved the house but they loved all the furniture that went with it and so this was also a widow who was downsizing and moving mm -hmm. into a condo and I think her biggest stress was what was she gonna do with all this furniture that had so much sentimental value to her that she couldn't take but she knew that most people weren't going to appreciate it because right, it was right. so classic in style, you know, right. like it had ornate kind of corners and like, you know, brass little handles and like yeah. that kind of stuff. And they, my client said to me like, you know, she's moving into a condo because the, the listing agent had told us that, do you think she wants to get rid of any of the furniture? And I'm like, oh, well, let me ask. So I asked and, and that's what, the deal didn't happen because they ended up moving on forward with something else. But that's what was going to win that deal for them if they wanted that house. 
Yeah. So yeah, you never know. It's so interesting. You yeah. never. Every know. transaction is its own little story. That's you know, what chapter. I love about it is that yeah. like it's it's like a little puzzle, and you yeah. got to put together the pieces, and you got to deal not only with your client and the other side's client, but the agent that's in the middle, right? Who also can add a whole. We had that too in my transaction. A I whole another layer of well, he was just like this absent, uh, you know. I don't I don't know what his story was like he only had a cell phone it didn't work in the mountains where he yeah. lived and yeah. so we could only contact him at certain hours of the that. day I more just remember that you told me you were annoyed by it but again the way that our transaction went I was like well that's kind of a John problem you yeah know? I mean it's, it's like you know I gotta call this guy and ask a question and it's yeah. gonna be a 24-hour turnaround yeah um, which, which is why most agents in Boulder don't want a lender that's of a big bank um, because they get an 800 number and a loan number to call and like get status updates. Oh, interesting. Um, they'd much rather have somebody here on the ground that they yeah. can call and you know get an answer from right. immediately. But like a Wells Fargo and why they had such a bad you know rap was that you know if they conditioned you on something on your loan, you know, and you got that notification, and then you so you get it together, and the next morning you send it out. It's 24 hours before they tell you, yeah, that's not exactly what we were looking for. And then it's another 24 hours. Yeah. And so it really, like all of a sudden the timeline starts getting a little close. Interesting. Yeah. So huh. have I put you in touch with our rocket, the rocket mortgage person we use? Well, so we have clients, uh, mutual clients that I'm working with right now that are working with rocket mortgage and, um, oh, probably the guy we found Marcello. He works yep. seven days a week. As far as I can tell, he's pretty responsive for, uh, I mean, yeah, not as responsive as Lauren. Um, and you know, yeah. plugging Lauren Niger and she can do interest only loans. She can't do interest only loans. They can now. Oh, Really? Yeah, okay. and actually, so um, it was Premier Mortgage in Boulder. Then it um, somehow became partnered with Cherry Creek, who they had used for underwriting for years, yeah, yeah. and recently became <laughs> Guild. So they're now oh, okay. Guild, which is one of the largest lenders, and they have access okay. to like everything now. If she can do IO loans, we'd be happy to be in touch with her. It's just it's a nice thing for so many of our yep. clients once they get it. Some people have to be led to water. <laughs> yes. Well, so and no, so we can we can talk a little bit about that. Where are we? We're we're forty one minutes. Yeah. You um, me, I have no idea. Yeah, yeah. So uh, years ago, Creighton started telling me about interest only loans, and I was like, that sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know after four different conversations at four <laughs> at different least. times I finally like understand like all right so you only pay the principal the interest or the interest you don't pay the pay, principal if you want to right and you don't yeah. pay any principal and so your principal payment is more than your interest towards the middle or end of a there, loan. well for the the tenor of an interest only loan so it's like a fractured arm loan and so it has a tenor where it's used you know three years five seven ten if you're lucky um, during which time you only are paying the interest. Yep. You know, so it's like a million dollar loan times 1%, you're paying 10,000 bucks to about about 12. Yep. But then at the end, with that, that it becomes an arm loan and it amortizes over the remaining term, usually 20 years. And so it's a little like, oh, it gets hot in there if the rate goes up. Right. But if the average term of a mortgage is seven years, yep. and personally it's like three, you know, why would I not do an interest only loan? Totally. And so yeah, that's so you're paying nothing but interest for seven to ten years. Yeah. And then uh, you kind of face a reckoning. But I how I convinced you was, and I've done this math for clients, you save so much money in principal payments over say seven years that rates could, could nearly double. Even if you refinanced, you would just be flat. Right. You know, you wouldn't you still wouldn't be worse off. And the yeah. probability of that is incredibly low. Yeah. And I think my interest only loan, it like it can jump up to twenty eight points. 
I mean, that would mean that our interest rates are 30%, right. which... And, but not all at once, right? Uh, I think it can go two points a year or Maybe, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something so, like that. It'll hurt. But it, it essentially allowed us to live in our house for, I think, about $1,000 a month mm -hmm. and then buy this other investment property that we're living in now so that we can do our project right. um, because it cleared up all this other cash. Right. Um, so You know, and is, it has its dangers. Leverage is fire, you know, but... It, Especially given where we live and all these other you know reasons that make sense here, they're just they make, they're just ones that make really good sense. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm a, I am a a fan for sure. Yeah. I, have, I have two of them. Yeah, I think I've done pretty much every <laughs> financing solution for a piece of property. I've recast a loan before because we would do amort we would do amortizing loans earlier on. Couldn't always get an IO loan. They got hard to get around the financial crisis. But I know the first one we did was like 2001. And the woman who did it, Debbie Bishop, I think she's in Texas I now. Think, yeah, I don't know. Um, it was the, she claimed it was either the first one she'd ever done, but I feel like she said it was like the first one, like in Colorado or something. But probably not. But yeah. she was like, I've never even heard of this, and yeah, we did one then. So I mean, they're just a tool, you know, for buying houses or whatever. Yep, yep. So. Uh, lot, lots of tools out there, which is you know why it's important to work with a lender who's really on your side, and not you know. One of the people who's just trying to get another deal done. Yeah, um, and to plug Lauren, Lauren was great. If you recall, I started my that house with a yep with a P and I loan, yep. an amortizing loan, because I didn't have. You usually need a bigger down payment for I O. Like these days, they want forty percent equity, and that's much harder. I think it's twenty percent, unless it's come in. Yeah, it's it's different. We did it with elevations, and it's twenty percent. Rocket because they went from twenty to thirty. Huh. Uh, like a couple of years ago and, and pinched me on a I was trying to put a HELOC on and they were like now we can have this big equity requirement and now I'm sort of past it you know in Boulder you grow into that equity pretty fast yep. but that's interesting to know I should explore that because we just thought it was kind of the policy but that's where I think at Rocket it's 40% now or maybe that's for the jumbo ones yep. so and like you know uh, also plugging elevations Blake Schaefer elevations um, he uh, a great great lender and Elevations does interesting things because they understand Boulder really really well and a lot of its portfolio loans they don't sell very many of them so they don't have to meet Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac standards yeah. um, you know so there there's you know do do your homework to know what it is that you need that's going to help with what you and then find a lender that works that way yeah um, you know a lot of it's a per good personality fit and, and experience but sometimes different lenders have different options and different requirements yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. That's good to know that. Yeah. Contact them. So, all right. What so else? let's get into some fun stuff because we okay. talked about, we've talked about a lot. <laughs> it wasn't fun. I'm having fun. Hopefully <laughs> nobody's falling asleep if you're listening to this late at night. <laughs> <laughs> so I like to end these with just some fun questions. I ask everybody the same questions, but what is your favorite room in the house? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, it's going to be a piece of a room. I, you can answer it any way you like. My my living room. The the living room in this house is like a gymnasium. It's a long rectangle, but one end of it has a fireplace that I've retrofitted, a nice gas fireplace, and windows around it. And for whatever reason, that spot, and I have it set up as a little sitting area, and we just kind of ignore the rest of the living room. Um, is like the coziest feels like the coziest place I've ever had in a house yeah. and it's really I don't so much entertain as you know have you know, two or three people over and it's just a really nice spot especially in the winter but even in the summer so yeah the, the northern half of my living room cool yeah I, I have, guess you didn't ask me why I'll just I have sat question. there yeah it's, it's cozy <laughs> all right uh, what room will you never use 
and the rooms I currently never use. Um, I have an office in that house, which is really just a dumping ground for projects I can't move forward or ski bags I don't know where to put. So, yeah. you know, I use that room, but not in any sort of functional way that, you know, and then there's also a room in that basement, the basement of that house. It's a non-conforming bedroom. Yeah. And we have had a million ideas and tried several different things to use it. The most recent of which was to take half of it and turn it into an indoor sauna, yeah. which got shut down because of the quirkiness of that damn house. The mm-hmm. electrical fixes to get the power there would cost more than the sauna. Right. So, yeah. but that room, that's a room we just can't figure out how to use. Extra TV room, workout room, yeah. too small to be a guest room. So there's two rooms there. Basements can be tough yeah. to, to utilize the right yeah. way. I yeah. I regret when I did the little remodel, not knocking a wall out and incorporating that. Yeah. That would have been a little more forward thinking. You still have a big family room-ish down there. Huge. Though. Yeah. yeah. My daughter has sort of a funny bedroom, but it would have improved that. But yeah. anyway. All right. So uh, what should a house smell like? Oh gosh, I don't know. Whatever, whatever makes the owner feel at home. But what 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 should what do you like? Yeah, that's a different question. Um, <laughs> well, what should your opinion a house yeah. smell like? There's a bunch of smells I like in a house. Um, like one that is sort of funny is wet dog because I've had dogs most of my adult life and I've always been a trail person. And so even today, and this is fresh in my mind, I took my dog for a run in the rain, came home, kind of turned his leash off, went to do something in the back, and I came back and the front of the house smelled like wet dog. <laughs> right. And that, that just kind of warms my heart a little bit because it's a fun thing. But, yeah. You know, I met, uh, I used to do fine dining cooking when I was younger. And so when a house smells like any sort of cooking food at all, be it warm bread or a pot yep. of beans, it really, you know, that's special to me. Right. So. Okay. What home feature is overrated? I mean, to paint with a broad brushstroke, I would just say the newness. There's something for me that really is really neat about houses because they're this. You, you almost sort of you have to get you getting something passed along from somebody who lived there before. And I, I and this is as somebody who's contemplated new houses and, and sort of used houses, right? Like not and grew up in new construction. Uh, I think it's overrated to sort of tear down an entire structure that would provide for a family and spend an exorbitant amount of money and change the look and feel of a neighborhood just to get something sort of new and different. And, and I say that also from a perspective of newifying a lot of parts of houses. You've just offended 60% it. of Boulder, but you know. No, they just don't have to agree with me, you know? <laughs> right. I mean, I also just, okay, that 60%, I also wish all the time I lived in a new house because an old house is right. such a pain in the ass. So <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I feel like any feature that somebody puts into their house that they like, yep. you know, like maybe indoor waterfalls, but if it brings somebody joy, like why should I have an opinion on that? Right, you know? okay. Um, what's one feature that your house doesn't have that you wish it did besides the sauna? Better sunlight mm. uh, around the house. My room and the wasted office room have incredible south-facing sunlight, but the, the sort of living space, the kitchen, dining, living, that cozy nook is all north Yeah, because the garage is on that side of the house. Yeah, yeah it's north-northeast-facing. In the north-northeast corner of a house in Colorado, most of the year just does not get much sun. Have you thought about sun, like a skylight or a solar tube? Yeah, I've, got, I've added one actually in the entryway of that house, but yeah, it just but just like the yeah. difference between that and like what comes in my bedroom, which is a big south-facing right. window with trees in front of it, so it's diffracted or refracted or whatever, broken up sunlight coming yeah. in. Yeah, yeah. That's just a magical experience. Yeah, 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 yeah. cool. Well, that's all the questions I have, right. and so um, sorry I got a soft topic. No, it's all it's all good. It just you know changes things up a little bit and, and makes it more interesting. So thanks, Creighton, for joining me on yeah. Living the Boulder Dream. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Until next time.